Wellness Insights with Dr. Chalmers, and I'm Dr. Matt Chalmers. So one of the things that we keep talking about, and I think it's a big point now, there's a lot of confusion on why, why doctors and hospitals or uh, medicine practices the way they do, even if we think, hey, there's this brand new thing out, and it's it looks like it's awesome, and we should be doing this instead of that, or whatever, or even what we're doing isn't working very well. We should figure out a way to change it. Why isn't the doctor giving this? Why is the doctor giving that? It all boils back down to what's called the standard of care. And this is, a, as many things are, a very double-edged sword. The standard of care is set up as kind of an accepted treatment protocol for a specific issue. So let's say that you break your arm. Uh, the standard of care is take an x-ray, evaluate the fracture, and then cast it, if you will. Well, if you have a bad break and you go see a doctor and he just says, oh, well, we'll, we'll wrap this up with saran wrap and send you home. That is obviously outside of what we'd be considered the standard of care, what we'd want to do. And so that doctor could get in trouble for that as, as that person should. But at the same time, not every doctor knows what to do with every single thing every single time. So having an established standard of care that works pretty well most of the time is a really good standard to have. So if a patient comes in and try to figure out what's going on with them, and you look it up and you go, ah, oh, this is XYZ disease. Well, if you've never seen it before and you don't, you know, you know nothing about it, you had to, you know, call a colleague to figure out what was going on. You know, your job was to diagnose it and figure out what path you should go down. Once you figured out what it is, you can then rely on the research and the expertise and the history of other doctors who have dealt with it and what's worked in the past. And so that's kind of how the established of care, the, the, the standard of care is established is we say, look, the last time we had something similar to this, we did X, Y, and Z, and it seemed to work better than anything else we did. So let's stick with this until the researchers come back with tests and whatnot that show us a different path. So that's how the standard of care is meant to be applied. And it is applied like that the 99% of the time. The standard of care is actually a pretty good basis. The problem that we're running into now, kind of like with wellness care, is that our information is growing so quickly. What we know about the human body, what we know about the conditions, what we know about different medications, the upsides, the downsides, that knowledge is doubling and tripling so quickly, it's hard to keep up with. Standards of care are established over longer periods of time. And so what ends up happening is that we say, look, for the past 10 years, we've been doing X and it has a 70%, 80% success rate. So this is what we're going to do. Well, now that new drugs, new information, new ideas, new things are coming out every other day, it challenges the standard of care that we've already established. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't change the standard of care. I'm just saying that's where we are. So when people come in and they say, oh, the hospitals are trying to murder people because they're using ventilators instead of whatever, or they're using drug X instead of drug Y. And so it's it's obvious that, you know, the system's bent against us and they're trying to murder everybody. That's that's not necessarily accurate. The problem is, is that let's just take COVID for an example, because it's an easy example to come up with. COVID is a respiratory problem. I mean, I think we all understand that, you know, we get hard to breathe, we cough, we have all sorts of oxygenation problems and bringing oxygen into the body is a respiratory thing. That's, that's how it's defined. So if every other time we've had respiratory distress, flu, pneumonia, all those type of things, we put people on a ventilator and it's worked. Well, guess what the standard of care is going to be 
for the COVID respiratory issues. It's going to be ventilators because that's what we've used before. So that's why everybody's getting ventilators. Should they be using ventilators? No, they should be using hyperbaric chambers. However, the standard of care has been established. And so breaking out of the standard of care is very, very difficult. And one of the biggest reasons is that there's a lot of safety built into the standard of care. If you follow the standard of care to the T and 100% of your patients die, the doctor, the hospital, the drug manufacturer, everyone involved in touching, seeing, and being around that patient cannot get in trouble. That's how, that's how everything's established. So the idea that some doctor is going to go, you know what? I know the standard of care is X, but I'm going to go with Y because I think that's the best way to go. Well, the standard of care was specifically designed to push against that. And you might think, well, why? Doctors are smart people. Yes, they are. Most of the ones I know are very, very intelligent. Problem is, is that doctors also carry with them a giant ego. I think we can all recognize that that is a thing sometimes. And if you have a doctor who has a giant ego and he thinks, you know what? Everybody else is going left. I'm going to go right. And I'm going to go right because I'm the smartest man in the room and everybody else is an idiot. And this is how things are going to get done. You don't really want rogue doctors prescribing their own random treatments left, right, and center. Now that works great in research after it's been thought out. Everybody sits down and says, you know what? That's that's something we should evaluate. We should actually look at that. And then you go through the, the proper research channels and we figure things out. So I would be using, and I am using hyperbaric in my office, but that's a little bit different than trying to do it mass scale, you know, with hospitals and everybody else and just throwing liability and function to the wayside and tradition. So the safety protocols we have in place. So, you know, I'm not trying to say that using a ventilator is good. I, I think a ventilator is great for intrapleural issues. So pneumonia type stuff, stuff where the lung is having trouble actually functioning, opening and closing. That's, that's important. And that's why I don't like them for COVID because COVID's an extra plural issue. It's an actually hemoglobin issue trying to absorb the, the oxygen. The lungs are working fine. It's actually an outside the lung. It's actually the, it's kind of like a blood issue. So that's why I think we should change. But still, we still want to go with standard of care. And I can say this as somebody who's had substantial damage done to myself and my family because of the standard of care. I still think at the end of the day, it's a good thing. And I'll, so the story about my family. So my son had to have inguinal canal surgery because he, he had a massive hernia. Intestines were coming through the, 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 the hole. And uh, it could have been life-threatening. Well, the standard of care is that any surgery done on a child X old or younger has to stay overnight in the hospital for observation. Not the worst idea in the world. However, I didn't want to do it. I told the surgeon, the surgeon didn't want to do it. And the surgeon said, look, I don't want to do it either. I don't think you need to. He said, however, that's the standard of care. And that's what we have to do. And the nurse who was pushing for it said, you know, I can have you arrested from CPS. And by the time you get out, your kid will get ready to go. And you'll have a, you'll have a child endangerment arrest on your, on your license and on your, uh, and your record if you want to push it that way. And so we went ahead and did it. And of course, my son got very sick, spent 10 days in the hospital with multiple IVs under the age of two, lots of antibiotics, totally destroyed his gut, messed up his lungs, did all sorts of terrible, terrible things to him because of the standard of care. So we have lifelong damage to one of my children from the standard of care, but I also still understand the necessity for it, whether or not I, I think that it should be applied 100% to the way it is, that's a different story. However, I understand the need for it and I understand the benefit of it. So as hard as it is to look around and say, well, people are dying. We should do something different. Okay. What's your plan? I mean, I, that's, that's always the issue. You know, don't, I always tell people, don't come at me with arguments, come at me with solutions. And we'll pick the best solution. Right now, people are saying we should abandon the standard of care and do something else. We should all be using ivermectin. Okay, great. 
How much on each patient? When? Like, you know, we, we chose a path and we're walking it. Now, we're going to look back and say, look, we messed up here, here, and here. And maybe we would have saved some lives. Maybe we would, maybe things would have been worse. You know, people don't understand ivermectin also works as a, a neurotoxin. I have lots and lots of people who've been coming in because they've been using too much of it or using it every day when it has a 72-hour half-life. And they're telling me their eyes are hurting. They can't see. They're having trouble thinking. Their muscles hurt. Their joints hurt. They're nauseous. Things like this. Yeah. Yeah. The, all things strong enough to do good are strong enough to do bad. You know, if they can help you, it can hurt you. So, you know, ivermectin is a phenomenal drug. It has awesome research. It's fantastic, in my opinion, at the right dosage, at the right amount, at the right time for this. However, it also has its downsides as well. If every single doctor was just throwing ivermectin at this issue, I guarantee you would be having deaths because of ivermectin. Just not everybody's body responds the same way to drugs as everybody else's. So, you know, I'm not saying that this choice of no ivermectin and, you know, everything that people are choosing is necessarily the right, the right move. But I think we should all take a step back and understand that there is no super secret hidden agenda that is obvious that people are just avoiding. You know, ivermectin is not the super miracle drug that, you know, you take one pill and everything in, about COVID goes away and your body returns to 100% function. That's not, that's not how any drug works. You know, ivermectin helps stop replication of the virus so that something else can get in and help kill it. And so in that case, yeah, it's great. You know, do I think that ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine and those type of things should be available for doctors to use? I do. But again, I think that we should establish some type of guidelines for them. You, you know, it, it's always easy to sit back and say, you know, three, four, five years from now, look back and say, see, had we just used this procedure, everyone would have lived. Well, yeah, we're going to be able to do that. And that's the sad thing. I guarantee you in 10 years, we're going to look back and say, had we done X, Y, and Z, a whole lot of people would have lived. We've been able to do that our entire, the entire history of our civilization. We've been able to look back and said, great example, surgery. Lots and lots and lots of people died during surgery, not because the surgeons were bad. The surgeons actually knew what they were doing, not because the surgeries themselves, the techniques were bad. They were actually good. They would have worked just fine. The biggest thing that changed the outcome of surgery was washing our hands and cleaning our tools. That was it. You know, if you go back and you research surgery, you know, the first guys would live. Like they do 10 surgeries in a day and the guy they just worked on first would live. The second guy would live most of the time. Third on, all die. And you're like, well, what happened? How come those guys died? Well, because they were, the bacteria and all the nasty grew on the, uh, the tools and on the surgeon's hands. So we went from patient to patient to patient. Everyone kept getting worse and worse and worse and secondary and tertiary infections that ended up killing them. And then someone went, hey, um, what if we cleaned everything? And then boom, people started surviving. We started going like, oh, all these surgical techniques are amazing. Well, so is, so is clean hands. And that's, that's a big, big deal. So, you know, we learn things as we go. And so we look back and we're like, well, you know, in the 1900s, we would have had a lot, lot, whole lot more people survive surgery had we just washed our hands and washed our tools. Yeah, that's why it's such a big deal today. That's why everybody's kind of, in my opinion, got a little overboard on sanitation. But I'd rather be overboard on sanitation than, you know, not doing enough. So when we're frustrated with the system, understand the system is set up to take the ego out of people and out of, you know, some of the decision-making out of doctors who would, not make the best decisions. They make decisions based on, based on ego. So it sucks. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it doesn't, but until we have something to replace it, it's the best we've got. And so that's the thing. Now, the only real way to get around this is to abandon the whole system. And the system relies heavily on who's funding it. So 
if you were to go out and say, look, I want to do this new surgery, this new, I want to try this new medical procedure, this new drug, this new, this new, this, this new, that, you know, or I want to look at my healthcare from a completely different aspect. I want to walk down a different road than everybody else is going. Then that's going to have to be something that you're going to have to do cash. That's something that you have to do, you know, maybe in a different country where the rules are a little bit different. I'm not saying you can't get things done, but you're going to have to go a different route. So if you want something that the hospital doesn't do, you're going to have to go somewhere else. So if you want ivermectin, there's a lot of docs who are prescribing it and a lot of them are prescribing it properly. Um, you know, there's a body weight issue. There's a how many, how often um, you can do a low dose, not every day, but quite often you can do a little bit higher dose every other day, because remember the half-life of this drug is 72 hours. So if you take a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow and a little bit the next day, because it's not all the way breaking down, you're going to constantly have more than you wanted in your system. So if you take if you take a gram today and it takes three days for that gram to go to half a gram in your system, right? And you always want to keep about a gram in your system, but you take a gram today, now you're at a gram and you take a gram tomorrow. Now you're at a little under two grams. Then you take a gram the next day, you're at like two and a half grams, two, two and three quarters, somewhere in there. And so if you're trying to stay at one, because one's safe, and you're 150% over that, that's where the problem comes in. And so since these standards of care have not been established, docs aren't prescribing it in that manner. And so again, this goes back to why we have standards of care. So that's kind of where that is. I hate to give you guys information without being like, so here's what you do to fix this. There is no good solution. Uh, Work with docs, pay cash, because they have a lot more leeway to do different things. But that's where we are. It's not that the medical community is trying to murder people. It's not that we don't care. It's not that, you know, it's just that that's, that's just where we are. Like we have, we have a, we have kind of a, Hey, this is, this is how we're going to go about things as a group and we're going to evaluate it. And when we figure out what works and what doesn't, we're going to change, we're going to adapt. And as quick as we can, we're going to come up with the most functional route. But if everybody's doing something different, it's kind of difficult to figure out what works and what doesn't. So, you know, obviously from a scientific standpoint, we'd be like, look, the whole U.S. is having this problem. So we're going to cut up into quarters and every different state's going to do something different. We're just going to research that way and figure out who dies and who doesn't. That's literally the definition of human experimentation. Maybe that's the way we should go. Maybe it's not. But that's a really, really difficult thing to decide is that, hey, we're going to we're going to just test a bunch of drugs on a whole bunch of different people. And if they die, we know that's not the way to go. So, you know, obviously I think that we've chosen the best path that we think will work, but we're only going to know in hindsight. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the big thing. I just want people to, the, the whole medical community is not out to murder everybody. That's not the goal. The goal is to help. The problem is, is that they have to do it in a very slow fashion because the standard of care is actually established by the government. So, you know, maybe I should have led with that. You guys would understand the, the holdup, the miscommunication, the slow, the resistance to change and all the different levels of bureaucracy you've got to go through before you can actually decide to make a change. So, but that's kind of what the standard of care is. And that's why things move the way they do. So if you guys have any other questions, uh, hit us up, questions at chalmerswellness.com and we'll get them answered. Thanks. Thanks.